0: Good evening, Mosaic family. How are we doing? Good. Hey, let's stand and worship. We're excited to see you here tonight.
1: sound beautiful. Would you have a seat? Good evening. We're so glad you're here tonight. Wasn't that awesome with the choir? Yeah. Hey, I want to invite you for just a minute here to calm your mind and relax. You're amongst friends. We've got the choir and we came here to worship tonight, right? And then refocus. Just think for a second. Why did you come tonight? What were you hoping would happen? And then rest, be confident, you're amongst friends, and rest in who you are before an eternal God who created us, and that we're here to worship him tonight. And so that's the posture and the heart of uh, what I wanted to come with tonight, so I just wanted to remind you guys of that and uh, tell you that. Are you new, so that'd be some of you, right? Are you wanting to grow, I hope that's all of us, right? Are you wanting to be connected into a community group? Well, we have a wonderful family that probably everybody knows, the Dudleys out at the center booth, and they want to connect with you tonight. Yeah, you can clap for them. They're pretty great. So there'll be a guy, and you can't avoid him. His name's Jerry. He's going to want to talk to you. So if you're new, go talk to Jerry at the end. Um, I am Jason McMahon. I am the global outreach pastor, and I am all the time asked, what does that mean? And I'm like, I don't, know. I don't really know, but we're figuring it out. Let me tell you some things that we do in global outreach. Is we figure out how to strategically go to the people in our communities who the nations have brought to us, right? So we know in Acts 1-8, it tells us that the Spirit will fill us, the Holy Spirit will fill us, and that we will be Jesus' witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Well, the ends of the earth are coming here. And so in each community, there's a way to reach people. And so we're building strategies to do that. The second thing that we do, is that we do Bible translation projects. And so we join in with people because there's people in this world that don't have the opportunity to do what we do tonight. I've worshiped in huts made out of mud and trash, and it's amazing amongst people that don't have churches. And so without the scriptures, they can't do this, right? Unless the Holy Spirit intervenes. And so one thing we can do is we can partner with people. And then the third way that we do it is we send our own people like I was, I was a Mosaic member who was a basketball coach that was sent out. And so we send people out, we go to places where the people are unreached, meaning that they don't have an active church, meaning they don't have active translations, and we send people into those areas to try to teach them to be able to worship what Jesus did on the cross and with the resurrection for us and the truth of that. And so I wanna give you a little update of, a lot of you guys probably didn't know this, is we have two families, Mosaic-supported families, that are in the midst of the earthquakes in Turkey. I'm sure a lot of you have seen that. They had a 7.8 earthquake, and they had a 7.5 earthquake. Well, Mosaic has two missionary families that are there serving their neighbors, representing all the community that we've learned here, and all the things that we stand on in biblical principles to serve those people in Turkey. And so we are sending them Uh, funds. We're sending them resources. We're checking on them, making sure they're doing okay as they're trying to love people in this Turkey devastation in that region of Syria and Turkey where almost everyone is homeless at this point after talking to these people. And so you might even not know that that is something that's going on that I wanted to share with you that we're strategizing and uh, helping to lead those efforts. And so Congratulations, Mosaic, on helping all the way around the world, and we're going to continue to figure out ways to continue to do that as we go. I get to lead the charge on that. If any of this tonight, you're like, man, I don't really know what he's talking about, then you're exactly my people. That used to be me. I need to talk to you in the foyer before you talk to Jerry, okay? I need to talk to you. If you're like, that's what I'm about, then I need to talk to you tonight before you talk to Jerry, in the four-year. And if you're like, man, that sounds like something I'd like to be a part of, then I'm your guy and I need to talk to you tonight in the four-year before you talk to Jerry, okay? Because if you get to with Jerry, it's gonna be trouble. All right, anybody barely surviving because your wife's at woman, women's retreat in here right now? Anybody hanging in there? Just barely hanging in there? I've got good news. May 5th, 6th, and 7th is a men's retreat. So if you survive the weekend, That's right. If you survive the weekend, men, you get to go on a retreat with just men, no kids, right? And so that's something to look forward to. That's what we're going to want to talk to you about if you need more information out there in the foyer at the end. And so we hope that the men can carve out it. We're giving you enough warning that you can carve that out and go with us on that men's retreat. May 5th, 6th, and 7th is when that'll be. Right now, we're going to show you a video because one of the things we believe in here is having an elder-led church. And so here are our elder candidates on this video.
2: Hello, fellowship. Thank you for participating in the elder nomination process. After a deliberate season of prayer and discussion, our elders have three new candidates for the Office of Elder to present to you today. Michael Collier, Brett Rings, and Brian Denman. If you don't already know these gentlemen, we would like for you to meet them. Hello, Fellowship. My name is Michael Collier. My wife Mandy and I have been part of Fellowship Bible Church of Northwest Arkansas for over 20 years, serving mainly as leaders in the community and small group ministries. Mandy and I have been married for 21 years Our daughter, Michaela, is 16 years old, and we have a son, Matthias, who will be 14 very soon. One thing that has me jazzed up right now is the growing number of people wanting to worship together again. The pandemic was hard for everyone, but I didn't realize how much I had taken for granted what worshiping together corporately meant to my life. It has been rejuvenating to sing, pray, and listen to the preaching of the word with more and more people each weekend. I'm excited about the future here at Fellowship, and I'm honored to be nominated as a candidate to serve as one of your elders. Thank you. Hi, Fellowship. My name is Brett Rings, and my wife, Leanne, and I have been married for 34 years. We originally came to Fellowship 21 years ago because of the small groups. Leanne and I strongly believe in the benefits of small groups, where you live life with one another in community. In addition to leading small groups, we are also involved in children's ministry, greeting, and I help coach a group of men in Springdale. I'm both humbled and honored to be nominated as a candidate for elder here at Fellowship. Thank you.
1: Hey Fellowship, my name is Brian Dittman. My wife Megan and I have been involved at Fellowship Bible Church for the past 13 years. It has been a joy to lead community groups, Financial Peace University, Discover Fellowship, as well as serve in the children's ministry over the years. Megan and I have been married for 15 years and have a seven-year-old son named Sage, a four-year-old daughter named Hattie Pearl, and a two-month-old son named Crew. I love that fellowship is a gospel-centered church that strives for our name to be nowhere and our fingerprints to be everywhere. I am humbled and honored to be nominated as a candidate to serve as one of your elders. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Brett, Michael, and Brian, for your willingness to participate in the elder nomination process and be considered a candidate for the office of elder. It is a tremendous responsibility to be an elder of Fellowship Bible Church of Northwest Arkansas. And your willingness to be considered a candidate speaks highly of your character, integrity, commitment to Christ, and service in our church family. Now, if you are a member of Fellowship, we have one more request of you. If for some biblical reason, you feel you cannot follow a particular candidate's leadership, please email me, miRapier at fellowshipnwa.org, stating your biblical objection, and do so no later than Monday, March 6th. I will call you personally, and we can discuss your objection, which must have merit based on biblical elder qualifications we require that all elders have 100% affirmation from our body. If you have no objection, we assume that you are affirming the candidates that the elders have set forth from the pool of nominees that you provided. Please pray for these new candidates as well as our current elders. We are grateful to each of you who participated in the nomination process. And with your affirmation, we will add Michael Collier, Brett Rings, and Brian Denman to our board this fall. And finally, we would like to thank Steve Lampkin, Stephen Weber, Rod Easley, and Dick Nervik for their years of faithful service as elders. They have represented our body well and will now become shepherding elders. If you see them, express your appreciation. Blessings to each of you.
0: Church, would you stand with me as we fix our eyes on Christ tonight? The reason we're here, the reason we sing. Would you sing this with me? Our creation suddenly articulate With a thousand tongues to lift one
3: offering prayer with me. O Father, giver of all, every good and perfect gift comes from you. We ask you to accept these gifts and use them to your glory. May they bring shelter to the homeless, comfort to the sick, rest to the weary, and hope to the hopeless. As you multiply the offering of fish and loaves, multiply these to accomplish more than we can ask or imagine. We give freely and not under compulsion, for all we have is yours, Lord. Nothing we can give could match your great gift to us, your Son and your Spirit.
0: Word of God tonight. Hey guys,
3: I'm Holly Bertram. Is it on? It's on. Okay. Can y'all hear me? No. I'll just stand really close to you.
4: I can't see a single person's face up here. (laughs) Kind of
3: nice. My name is Holly Bertram. This is my husband, Justin. We've been at Mosaic for five years. We have four kids, Graham, Vivian, Brooklyn, and Roman. Keep laughing. And... (laughs) We co-lead a community group, we host a teenage girls' cell group at our house, which is a lot of fun, you should all come, and I occasionally serve in preschool, and we're just happy to be here.
4: All right. Good evening, Mosaic, tonight we'll be reading Daniel 4, verses 31 through 37. The words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar, your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people. You will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. You can be seated, friends. Hey, my name is Scott
5: Jones. I am the student team leader here at Fellowship Mosaic. And and there's some students up in the choir. Hey, guys. That's Ben. He's gonna be teaching next week, so come back. He's crazy. Um, Thanks to the Bertrams for reading our scripture. They are two of my favorite people in our congregation because not only are they really fun and funny, But I've sat with them at their kitchen table a couple times with tears in my eyes and with tears in their eyes as we've talked about the Lord, as we've talked about our experience with God, our testimonies, and our experiences with him in community. And It's really special to have friends in this body that really feel like family, where we start to live out that identity um, of what the church is. And I hope you have people like the Bertrams in your life that you can have family with. Hey, we've been in Daniel, um, and there's this little chiastic structure thing that we kind of throw up on the screen sometimes that you see in a lot of scripture, um, that as you're going through a book of the Bible or a section of scripture, that there will be some sections that kind of call to or mirror a a section that comes later on, uh, kind of working itself to a climax and then like redeeming the parts before it. I just wanted to throw this up there to show you that we're in the middle, we're already like halfway through the book. Uh, but also just to remind you, I love chiastic structures in the word because it reminds me that God finishes what he starts. It reminds me that he, he is author the entire time, that nothing surprises him, that he knows past, present, and future. So it's cool even looking in the book of Daniel and seeing the ways that, that the story itself is either mirroring or repeating or redeeming as we go along. Tonight, we are gonna talk about God humbling the proud. God humbles the proud. This makes me think of praying for patience. In my years of being a Camp Eagle counselor, um, I always laughed with co-counselors about praying for patience. I've also heard a lot of our parents and our bodies say the same thing. Be careful if you're gonna pray for patience because God's probably gonna give you patience. and he's gonna give you patience through some hard circumstances, maybe, you're gonna learn it. And I kind of think that's the same thing maybe with pride. Be careful if you ask for God to humble you because he might just do that. I don't want to like freak you out. I don't want to say that we shouldn't be praying for that. It, but it, this, is a, this is a heavy topic, humility. Because humility is the inverse of pride, of that proudness, which is the root of so much sin. So it's my prayer tonight that God in me and in you guys that he will start to root out or pull out that pride that we walk in, that we still run back to, and start to replace it with a true humility as we learn about his story of humbling Nebuchadnezzar. So let's pray to that end, and then we'll dive in Daniel 4. Bow your heads with me. Lord, we ask for um, so much peace to just wash over us as we think about the sin in our life, as we think about some of the pride, as we remember the ways that we live for our kingdom and not yours, as we think about the pleasures we chase or the idols that we carry, let your peace wash over us and your grace wash over us as you continue to finish the work you've started. You continue to sanctify us to our glory. In your name we pray, and by the Spirit of Jesus, amen. Tonight is a tale of two kings. Uh, first, Nebuchadnezzar, and then his son, Belshazzar. Say, Belshazzar. There's another name that sounds a lot like Belshazzar that we're gonna say a lot more tonight, but I won't, I won't say it just yet. But a tale of two kings, and we're gonna start by getting a little bit of a theology or, or maybe an understanding of Nebuchadnezzar's theology right now. In the story of Daniel, where we're at right now, what does Nebuchadnezzar think about God? Because if we're gonna watch him interact with God, I'd I'd love to see kind of what happens in his heart and mind as we see this. So we're gonna go back to the end of the last chapter where where we stopped last week. So Daniel 3, 28, and tonight's just gonna have a lot of reading. This is a narrative, guys. This is a story, and I don't really know how to teach through a story other than just read a lot of the story. So bear with me. I'll try to make my reading as as awesome and vibrant as possible. But Daniel 3, 28 says, Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and he defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. At the end of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where they were, where they were held by the fourth member of that fire, where they survived because of God's grace, because of God's goodness, Nebuchadnezzar praises God. He praises God. He praises not just his understanding of God. He praises the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sends praise up to Yahweh, and this is what he says about him, that he is a rescuer. Yahweh is a rescuer. So Nebuchadnezzar understands God as a rescuer and he understands God as worthy of worship. So moving on into chapter four, the very beginning, verses one and two, King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the most high God has performed for me. So God's not just a rescuer. God's not just worthy of elite worship. God's also a performer of miraculous signs and wonders. God also does crazy things. God defies many of the laws of the world as we see it. So Nebuchadnezzar sees God as rescuer. God is elite in some way. And God as a performer of miraculous signs and wonders. Sounds like a pretty cool God. He moves on in verse three. How great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. So Nebuchadnezzar sees that God is great. He sees that God is mighty. Not just that, this one's cool. He sees that God is a king. God rules. God has some sense of sovereignty. And not just that he's a king, but that his kingdom is eternal. So Nebuchadnezzar sees that God is rescuer. God is worthy of elite worship. God performs miraculous signs and wonders. And God is a king of an eternal kingdom. It sounds like he sees God pretty clearly, huh? One more, verses four and five. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace I was contented and I was prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. Notice that he is contented and he is prosperous as he's walking around looking at his kingdom. So Nebuchadnezzar seems to have a pretty good idea of God. He seems to have a pretty good understanding of the God of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. The things he does, the power he holds. And yet, he's walking in some pride. So we're gonna start to see how his theology might be a little bit whack. Verses six and seven. I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream that I had. When the magicians, when the enchanters and astrologers and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. So, Daniel's Nebuchadnezzar has had a dream, and he's pretty terrified of his dream. And he calls in the magicians, the astrologers, the diviners, the people who are supposed to know more. He calls them in, and they can't interpret it. You remember what happened last week? It was crazy the same kind of thing happened, but Nebuchadnezzar said, no, 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 I'm not gonna tell you my dream. I'm actually gonna expect you to tell me the dream because I wanna see if you're legit. And if you can't do it, I'm gonna cut you up into pieces. I'm gonna burn your house down. That's a lot different than right now. He's like, oh, I'll just tell you the dream. If you can interpret it, let me know. (laughs) I don't know if there's been a a change of heart. Maybe, I don't know if Nebuchadnezzar is just getting really bored with these men and their incapability of being able to do divine things like Daniel was able to do, and maybe it's a mix of both. But there seems to be a little bit of a change of heart in King Nebuchadnezzar, which would make sense in light of the way that he praised God at the end of chapter three. There's hopefully been some some sense of a change of heart, yeah? Verses eight and nine. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, And I told him the dream. This is still Nebuchadnezzar talking. Daniel is called Belteshazzar after the name of my God and the spirit of the holy gods in him. And I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery is too difficult for you. So here is my dream. Interpret it for me. Pause. Nebuchadnezzar references his God, so, he must not understand the God of Daniel, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all too well if he still references his own God that he holds to. Sounds to me like worshiping other gods. But not only that, he refers to Daniel's God as plural. He refers to Daniel's God as gods. In Nebuchadnezzar's mind, Yahweh, the God, The one and only God, he's just one of many. He's still just one of many. He's a powerful one. And he can do signs and wonders and he can show you up. But Nebuchadnezzar still has his God. And Daniel's God is just one of God's. Hey, this is not Yahweh. This is not the God of Israel. Look back at Deuteronomy chapter four. Hear, O Israel, Moses says. Hear, listen and obey. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Or hey, listen and obey, O people of God, to our God alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The singularity of God and God alone and hearing him, hearing him, it seems to lead to some pretty, incredibly rich life. Don't we all wanna live that life with our family, with our wives and our husbands and our children and our friends? To have these commandments on our hearts, to impress them on our children, the ones we lead and disciple, to talk about the things of God when we sit at home and when we lock, walk along the road, where we live, where we work, where we play, when we lie down, when we get up, to be thinking about and pressing into, listening and obeying God, to tie the things of God as symbols on our hands and bind them to our foreheads, to ride them on our door frames. My mom had this little thing that was in our kitchen growing up on the wall that said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Kind of taken out of context, I love you mom. But we all have had those in our homes. We all have seen those things on our plaques on our coffee mugs in our journals. I'm pretty sure most of us desire this type of like gritty obedience. Everywhere I go, I will listen and obey God and God alone cuz that's who Yahweh is. That's who my God is, the God alone. And there is no other. That God alone is gonna come in contact with Nebuchadnezzar and it's gonna be really weird. (laughs) Chapter four, verse 18 and 19. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. So we skipped across, uh, we we skipped by the dream and and him explaining the dream and we're just gonna kind of go into the, the interpretation of the dream because it repeats it all again. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means. For none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. And then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, Daniel, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. And Belteshazzar answered, my lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies, and if only its meaning applied to your adversaries. Because it's bad. So King Nebuchadnezzar had this dream where there's this big tree in a field and the tree is a massive, beautiful tree that's bearing fruit. And there's living creatures that are, that are getting shelter and, 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 and food from this tree. This messenger comes from God and says, the tree must be cut down, but keep its root. And then I'm gonna cast it out into the wilderness and it's gonna, be, gonna become like a beast of the field, etc. Daniel knows that this is talking about King Nebuchadnezzar. And so Daniel says, if only it wasn't about you, if only it was about someone else. He's kind of doing that thing where he apologizes before he says something. You know, we all do that. I was sitting in seminary class to, today and yesterday with some other fellowship people taking class at DTS. And we're like raising our questions, asking things to our professor and before we ask a question, you know, every single one of us, every single time is like, oh, this might be a bad question. Or or maybe you're gonna talk about this in a minute or maybe this is just gonna get us on a rabbit trail and our professor's like, ask the question already. Stop prefacing. We all do that. Side note, don't be people who preface, just speak. I'm guilty of that. Daniel is prefacing right here because he's a little bit nervous. He has some bad news for King Nebuchadnezzar. We move on. Daniel says in verse 20, the tree you saw which grew large and strong with its top touching the sky invisible to the whole earth with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. (gasps) Your majesty, you are that tree. He's really encouraging Nebuchadnezzar. He's helping him see, you're a good king. You've done a lot of really great things. But you've become great and strong. Your greatness, it's grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. I know that Colin is gonna talk about this soon and regarding King Darius further on in Daniel, so I don't wanna hit on it too much. But notice how supportive Daniel is of the king in some way and in some massive way, this should be convicting for us. King Nebuchadnezzar is not a good man. He is a pagan king who has done very bad things, not just to God's people, but to his own. We've seen him just in the book of Daniel, threatening to cut people up and burn their houses down. We've seen him throw people into a fiery furnace, God's people trying to kill them this is not a guy I would wanna follow. Yes, I hope you would not either. And yet Daniel's commitment to honoring him is pretty crazy. It's wild how God uses his people, his followers always through love, through peace, through integrity, through dignity to usher the kingdom in, even in the darkest places like when Daniel is called to support a pagan king. Guys, our kingdom is a different kingdom. It's not an earthly one. We are members of a kingdom of heaven, not a kingdom of earth. God's gonna use us to do weird things sometimes regarding the kings of this earth. So, Daniel 4, 23, what happens? Your majesty saw a holy one. Daniel's talking to Nebuchadnezzar. He saw a messenger coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze and the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass from him. Verse 24, this is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the most high has is issued against the Lord, the king. Now he tells Nebuchadnezzar his fate. He says, you will be driven away from, pe- from the people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and you'll be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Verse 26, the command to leave the stump with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Listen to this. Daniel says to King Nebuchadnezzar, renounce your sin by doing what is right and renounce your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. This reminds me of a Disney movie, Beauty and the Beast, the very beginning, the threat of this very selfish prince who's very content with his kingdom, the threat of him becoming just like the sin that's inside of him, becoming like a beast. And there's this moment at the very beginning where the enchantress comes and says, although he had everything his heart desired, the prince was spoiled, selfish, and unkind. That's where we're at right now with King Nebuchadnezzar. He's a spoiled, selfish, and unkind king given an opportunity by this beautiful enchantress or in this story, a really cool guy named Daniel given an opportunity to renounce your sin, to turn from your pride and your evil ways, to turn from your wickedness and do good. And why do good? Because it may be that your prosperity will continue. Daniel's teaching Nebuchadnezzar about God's character. He's teaching him about God's desire to relent and to have mercy. Hey, there's this sin cycle that we talk about in Panorama. Um, You guys should take Panorama if you haven't yet. I think we just finished a Panorama class just a couple weeks ago, maybe. But there's gonna be another one uh, within the next like year and a half, I'm sure. And if there's not, Nick will do it. So take Panorama if you haven't. It's, it's a really awesome class that will help you feel so much more equipped in handling God's word. But there's this sense cycle in Panorama where we look at what happens in the judges with God's people, with the Israelites. And, and this also happens in our own lives, spoiler alert. But we uh, might find ourselves in rest and that are quickly turned to rebellion because of our sinful desires and because of the evil that is rooted in us. We are quickly turned to either the desire to rebel or the acts of rebellion. And when we rebel, God will bring his wrath, his punishment, or a better way to put it, his retribution. He will walk us through retribution where he corrects us, where he shows us where we are wrong, and where we even experience the weight of our sin. And then through retribution, hopefully God's people would have softened hearts enough to repent. Hopefully you would recognize your sin and turn from your evil ways. And then after repentance, we experience the gift, the gracious gift of restoration. And after restoration, back to rest. But there's this really cool thing about God. And that's that sometimes we don't even have to walk through the whole cycle because sometimes he will relent. It says in Joel chapter two, says not on the screen, so listen to me. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and he is compassionate. He's slow to anger and he's abounding in love and he relents from sending calamity. Not, not always. What Daniel said to King Nebuchadnezzar was, it may be, it may be that your prosperity will just continue. And we saw last week with the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, my God will save me, but if he doesn't. So this isn't a new idea that, like, God does things, but he also may do things. But even though he does and sometimes doesn't, so therefore, may, we can cling to the may as if it just is is. God relents. God's mercy and grace is so good that repentance, repentance will cause him to relent. And yet, sometimes we'll still walk you through retribution. Sometimes we'll still allow you to feel the weight of your sin, even if you've repented. Because in that place is somehow his glory and your good. Nebuchadnezzar had an opportunity to relent of his sin, that God might relent of his wrath. And Nebuchadnezzar didn't. Verse 28, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. And 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon that I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Another thing we learn in Panorama, who has the right to rule in every moment of your life? Who has the right to rule? Is it you and your desires and your fears and your talents and your giftings and your abilities? Is it you that has the right to rule your life or is it God? because that question being answered will change everything about your life. Nebuchadnezzar's answered it. He said, I have the right to rule. Look at what everything I've done. Verse 31. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has now been taken from you you will be driven away from the people and will live with the wild animals you'll eat grass like the ox seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes in verse 33 immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled he was driven away from the people and he ate like grass he ate grass like an ox His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. This is so weird. And I'm desperate to know what this actually looked like. But we can agree on one thing. Nebuchadnezzar lived in the wilderness and he was crazy. He had lost all sense of sanity, was truly insane and was living like a lunatic. I think the most important two things to see here is one, that Daniel was given over to his beastly nature and therefore became one. I wish I could talk about this thing all night, but we see it starting in Genesis all the way through Revelation, this, this thing about the nature of the beast. That sin is like this dark beast in us. So we see him being given over to his beastly nature, kind of like the beast and beauty and the beast. But we also see God humbling Nebuchadnezzar to be equal to the animals of the field that he might be made very low as compared to his normal kingly status and therefore start to learn maybe what it is like to rely on God. Man, God is so good. God had a plan for King Nebuchadnezzar and it was a weird one. But God had a plan to show him what it is like to rely on him. Hey, there's this quote in Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. It says, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all of that are mere flea bites in comparison. It is through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. and That is where Nebuchadnezzar is with the feathers and the hair and the talons for fingernails. Verse 34, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes to heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the most high, I honored, and I glorified him who lives forever. In Genesis chapter 22, it says Abraham looked up and there he saw a thicket and in the thicket he saw a ram. In Psalm 121, verse one, the psalmist says, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? In Isaiah 51:6, it says, lift your eyes to the heavens and look at the earth beneath. Yet my salvation will last forever. My righteousness will never fail. Hey, people of God, look up. Look up. I've been going through a dark season myself, and struggling with some fear and anxiety that is just related to personal things I'm going through. And I had a beautiful moment. I had a beautiful moment a couple weeks ago with some friends. Where I was out running with some buddies, and God spoke to me when I looked up. And there's a cool story about how He used the constellation. That's kind of a part of my life, and it's a long story. Ask me, and I'll share it to you. I'll share it with you. But God used that posture in my life, even recently, of looking up, looking up and being reminded of God and his majesty, God and his might and his power, being being washed by the gift of invitation to humility. So, Nebuchadnezzar sings praises to God. He says, His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases. With the powers of heaven and with the peoples of the earth, no one can hold back his hand and no one can say to him, what have you done? Nebuchadnezzar now seems to see that God is alone, powerful. So friends, God humbles the proud. God humbles proud. The proud. We got Belshazzar. And we're gonna look at one more story of God humbling the proud. Nebuchadnezzar's son, Belshazzar, is pretty prideful and he's forgotten about all the things that happened with his father. He's drinking from the gold and silver goblets that were stolen from God's people. He's having festivals and he's reveling in his own wealth. And then he sees a hand appear in the palace and the hand starts writing this thing on the wall and it says, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parsin. And in chapter five, verse 26, Daniel is in the palace and he's translating those words and they say, God has numbered the days of your reign, King Belshazzar, and he's brought him to an end. Tekel, you've been weighed in the, on the scales and you have been found wanting. Parsin, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. So then, at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Daniel's still being exalted verse 30 and 31, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Ah, His son didn't learn. We just had this whole story of Nebuchadnezzar being brought out into the wilderness and made like a beast, being humbled by God and then being exalted again. And we see again in this story that God humbles the proud. He humbles the proud. But that's not all he does. God also exalts the humble. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. 1 Peter 5.6 says, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand and he will lift you up in due time. Luke fourteen eleven says, "For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves, they will be exalted." There is a third king in the story tonight. We got Nebuchadnezzar, we got Belshazzar. The story of two kings, but there is a third king in the story. Who is it? It's King Jesus. It's King Jesus. The guy who we might have seen in the furnace, just a chapter before. But this king is not like Nebuchadnezzar, who considers his pride something to grasp, who looks out and has this like great pride about his kingdom that leads him to, to curse God. But this king is not like Nebuchadnezzar's son Belshazzar, who, who forgets, who just lives life crazy on wine on gold, on silver, and on good, special, flashy things. This king is a good, humble king. Philippians 2 talks about this king. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as King Christ Jesus. Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Can you imagine if Nebuchadnezzar was equal with God? What he would have been tempted to do with that pride? Jesus didn't use that for his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, by being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Verse nine, therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and he gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That good king, a king who does not consider his equality something to be grasped but humbles himself, he was exalted highest. And he's inviting you into that same place of humility. Get off your high horse. Get off your pride that's causing you to fear or causing you to be bitter or angry or sulk or, or stay addicted, or stay secret, or whatever, get off of your pride, get off your pride. Jesus did it, get off your pride and let him, let him bring you high. We're gonna take communion, God told his, uh, Jesus told his disciples before he left this earth that whenever you eat, remember me, whenever you drink, remember me. At the Last Supper, he used bread to symbolize his body. He said, take and eat, this is my body broken for you. He used wine to symbolize his blood. He said, take and drink, this is my blood shed for you. So before we go into some worship, we're gonna take communion. You're gonna get the elements on your own and you'll take them back to your seat and you'll take the elements on your own in your own time, okay? Leave your uh, section, if you can, on this side of the room. So leave your section on this side so that you can come back to your section on this side. Yes? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are our king. We glorify you. As we take communion right now, would you convict us personally? You meet with us personally and help us to repent of our pride that we might experience the sweet exaltation that comes with unity with your son. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.
3: so good to us, so merciful, so wonderful, so kind. We thank you for giving us your son to take our place, to take on our sin so that we might be restored to you. God, uh, may our hearts be open to you and open to restoration because we know that you can and you know that we know that you promised to do it. Just thank you for this time and this day and these people and this family that we get to do life with. It's in your name we pray, amen. Thank you all for worshiping with us. So great to see all your faces and just to hear you. Sometimes with all the instruments, it's really hard to hear your voices. And so that was a gift to me tonight. Um, If you need prayer, there are people down at the front. We also have prayer cards in the back. Um, and a place to put those prayer cards. And if you're new and you're like, what is this place? What is this all about? Please feel free to see someone from the Connections team out front in the little booth in the center. Um, Go in peace to love and serve the Lord and the people said.